The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, Typology Tribe, Ian Morgan Cron here. Welcome again to the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the, the lens, lens of, of the, the Enneagram. Enneagram. I actually have memorized. <laughs> I know. Isn't that great? Right. Yeah. It runs through my mind at, at night in my dreams. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, as a therapist, I can tell you there are medications <laughs> that can help alleviate that for right. you. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. All right, so I have, a, I, I have a question for you. Lay it on me. All right. When was the last time you read a novel? Ooh, a novel's been a while. So right. okay, well, well, what do you read then? Um, I guess a month ago I read The Great Divorce, Stephen King on writing, but more it's been on leadership and therapy, like breathing underwater and body keeps the score, that kind of thing. Oh wow, okay, the a book <laughs> yeah. on trauma. Yes, which I would recommend. It's a great book. Yeah, it's right? a great book. Yeah. All right, so I I love novels. Yes, right? I'm, I'm a novel guy, and and like you, I got to read some nonfiction, you know, for right. for work and psychology and stuff like that, but. Right. One of the things I tell, like when I'm working with corporate leaders and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or, or just leaders in general, I, I often tell them they need to start reading novels. Uh, if they really want to understand people, they got to start reading novels. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in an indirect way, you learn more about the interior worlds of people from novels than by, about anywhere else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Anyhow, um, I've been reading this novel. Uh, it's uh, called uh, uh, Skippy Dies. By Paul Murray. Have you heard of that book? No. All right. It's got this great line in it. Are you okay, ready for this? Yeah. All right. So uh, M- Murray says, you know, he's having this like existential crisis. And, and he says, uh, you know, um, it, uh, my life just hasn't turned out the way I expected. Right. And his friend says to him, <clears throat> uh, well, what, what, what did you think it was going to be like? And he says something to the effect of, well, it may sound stupid, but I suppose I thought it would have more of a narrative arc. <laughs> <laughs> it's subtle, but I thought it was as a four on the Enneagram. I thought that wow. was incredibly funny. Yes. Incredibly funny. And, but of course it oh makes, com- well, yeah, but it, it makes complete sense right? yeah. because everybody expects their life to have a narrative arc yeah. and, and everybody sees their life through the lens uh, of a narrative arc, which by the way is why I am thrilled to have the guru of story. Yes. On our show today, literally the guru of story, Donald Miller, my friend Don Miller. And, you know, it's a big thrill to have him uh, in the studio today. And uh, but before we get to him, Mm -hmm. we just need people to know what about typology that they can help make it happen. Why? Well, to pull it off, it takes time, energy, expertise and M-O-N-E-Y. It costs money. Money. Okay, it costs money. And uh, so. Patreon, what is it? It's a, it's a place where you can go to support content you really care about. Uh, that's you know, uh, helping you along on this crazy adventure called life. You could go to Patreon, p a t r e o n forward slash typology, and you could donate as little as a buck, or as much as you know the you know the contents of your trust fund. And uh, on a, and, and you can do it on a monthly basis. You mm-hmm. know, so it's not like some you know you gotta like write some huge check. And even a buck goes a long way. 
um, to making it possible for us to do everything that we do. And so anyway, we've yeah. got a bunch of people who do it, and yeah. we're you know we'll we'll we we'll give a shout out to them at some point. Yes, but um, and patreon.com forward slash typology. Oh, yeah. thank you for that. Yeah, that shaming correction. Um, <laughs> let's get to my friend Don Miller, who is in the studio. Let me just tell everybody a little bit about Don. Um, if they don't know him, that's because they apparently have been living in some kind of a cocoon for the last 20 years. Literally, he's one of the world leaders on the subject of story. He's a three-time New York Times or two-time New York Times, one-time Wall Street Journal bestseller of books like Blue Like Jazz, uh, Scary Clothes, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Um, I mean, your list of you know credits and accomplishments uh, uh, are is very, very impressive. You co-hosts the wonderful podcast "Building a Story Brand," and he, you just released a, a new book, the the five minute marketing makeover. Right? Yeah, it's actually a, a video series that teaches small businesses how to do better marketing, and it's free. It's five minute marketing makeover dot com. Wow, I like free. Yes, I, I'm all over free. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so everybody, you need to check that out. And um, you you live here in Nashville, which is a great thing for my wife Annie and I, with your wife Betsy and your chocolate lab Lucy. And you got another dog since yeah. I we well, we actually got a dog from on-site workshops. Really? Yeah. There's what? a dog out there named Lady. Get this, true story. Uh, a dog out there sadly was was killed uh you know hit by a car right and the whole team that beautiful wonderful team out there was just grieving they went up on the hill to bury the dog had a giant funeral 50 people standing around and a stray walks up to the funeral they'd never seen this dog before no collar and they said uh you know the team went to miles adcox who's been a guest on your show mm-hmm. one of my best friends and said we, you know this is a sign from god we have to adopt this dog and miles said we, we can't no we can't have another dog <laughs> The entire team protested Miles, literally picket signs as he pulled into work the next day. Things like, don't be a jerk, keep the bitch, things like that. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and he's, <laughs> and he's, like, he's like, we got to do it. So, you know, adopted the dog. You know, Miles, you know, takes the dog down to the vet, has him checked out. And the vet says, this dog is pregnant. So no our, our dog, June Carter, is a child of uh lady that's amazing who uh and she's been a blast so we, so our dog comes from and you know true to anybody who's spent a lot of time on set has extremely high self-esteem yes very very <laughs> yes. very much i run the show you should, you're lucky that i'm in your home so i you know, <laughs> which, is, exactly. which is the esteem i aspire to have someday okay so i went to onsite i did the yep. living centered program at onsite which is like you know they're sort of yeah. Well, you, I've you done never, it. You've done it, yeah, right? I've done it. My so, wife did it too. Betsy okay, did too. so and June Carter did it. Uh, right, June Carter did it. <laughs> so anyway, you know, and it was a, it was a, a really a life changing five or six days. I can't remember for me too, which it was. And but that sounds just like their staff. I trained their staff <laughs> on the Enneagram too. But you know, keep the bitch. That's just that's right out of a playbook for those people. I mean, I, I mean, I can't recommend that place for. For people to go from i mean when i was there people were coming in from europe from all over the world oh, they still are yeah yeah i mean it's fantastic and the interview we did with miles was just tops yeah just tops he knows know. what he's talking about the two of us in fact just spoke at catalyst last last week i saw that and had a ball i didn't actually get to see his uh because i came in later in the day than, yeah. than he did but uh i can't wait to kind of go back and watch the video you know we're working on you know I don't know if it's going to get finished because I never know if a book is going to get finished, right. but we're working on a co-write. Really? Mm. Yeah. Okay, jealous. 
It's called Human School. Oh, can we do it together? Uh, <laughs> All three of us? Yeah. I think that would be a that would be pretty good. Okay, I just pitched myself. That would be the hat trick. Now, you're a three on the Enneagram. You appreciate the fact that I just pitched myself. I promoted yes. myself in a and big way. And as a three way. on the Enneagram, two things happened in my brain. Right. I went, oh, Ian could contribute a lot. And also, he would help us sell a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I was thinking about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So our three, our, my three wing and your threeness were sympathetically ringing in, there that, you go. in that moment. How can we a, win? Right. Exactly. How can we win? Exactly. So I was on your podcast um, a while back, you know, uh, building a story brand. And you told me something that has really, really stuck with me. You told me that for the longest time you thought you were a four. Well, th- this is a, a thing we can discuss. Okay. Because I'm, ac- I'm actually here, one, for the podcast, and because I think you have wonderful listeners, and two, for free counseling. <laughs> and, and, I'm willi- and I'm willing to record it. <laughs> I really think I was a four. And now I really think I'm a three. Ooh. And I and so, mm. is it is it possible that like the minute hand on the clock, you can slowly evolve? Mm. And I think there were life circumstances that necessitated mm. moving more toward three. So I could still be a four with a three wing, but boy, my my three wing is sure strong these days. Or I could be have been a. It's just hard for me to imagine myself having been a three with a four wing when I was writing Blue Like Jazz and those books. Which is a very four book. It's a it's an extremely four book. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of the, and and I don't, you know, I'm grateful for that book, but I don't have any copies in my house. I've not read that book in 14 years. I wrote it 15 years ago, and there's one reason. I'm afraid if I pick up that book, I will smell the self pity that Ooh. I used to wow. wallow in, and I I really don't like that in that part of me when it tries to creep in now, mm. and I wonder if. The, and not to label all fours of self-pity, but we do have this ability to sort of look in our belly button and say we're not as good as other people. And totally. Meanwhile, you've been given more gifts than you know most people around you. Right. And uh, so I, I wonder, so, so maybe we can, I don't know if you want to go there. Mm-hmm. but Well, it's a great question. It's can great. you evolve? Can you not evolve because there's no, no you know, uh, hierarchical difference between a four and a three. But can you change, I should say, not evolve? Well, all right, so couple of things one is no one is a pure type so that's really important most people tend to be a little fundamentalist about the enneagram and there are a lot of teachers who are yeah which i don't i'm just not that guy uh part of me is i just hold this thing lightly and i think that's how it works best and oh that's a good that's a wise way to right so you know when people say oh whenever a four is in stress it goes to the low side of two or three goes to the low side of nine i always say well don't be surprised if, when you're under stress, you do this. I mean, mm. people are more mysterious than to, right. and they surprise us. So we can't just simply say it will always happen like this because we're not machines. Right. Right. So no pure type. Secondly, there's really three levels of wings. Heavy, you know, kind of medium standard, and then kind of a low influence on your dominant type. So if gotcha. you were a four with a high three wing really high i mean i can see where you would it would get blurry it get blurry right um and so one teacher calls them fuzzy types and Mm. i i also think the older you get and the more work you've done on yourself the fuzzier things get that's interesting so i mean who knows do you mean that to say your liabilities or your negative side are more pronounced when you're unhealthy, then your strengths are pronounced when you're healthy? 
I think that's one thing. Yeah. Um, I think you're also your, you know, your strengths uh, of your particular type are very florid when you're a kid. You know, if you're 20, 21, when you lack yeah. any self-awareness and you're just running around, you know, on fire in your particular personality style. Uh, but, you know, I think, let me just put it this way. I'm a four with a very strong three wing. And I often look like, and if you give any sort of credence to tests, right, which I'm ambivalent about, um, I often test as a seven or a three. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, and I, and I think there's some reasons for that based in the subtype conversation yeah. about subtypes. But so one of the things I would tell you is you need to check out self-preservation fours. Because, so you mentioned that this, you mentioned this to me before and yes. over dinner and yeah. it was in passing and I've, I've never stopped thinking about it. So explain to me how self-preservation fours work. Okay. So this is a little bit. Because there's sexual, there is social, social and then self-preservation. Right. And self-preservation is the one I understand the least. Okay. So just by way of review for people, right? Every yeah. type has three subtypes based on the three instincts that all human beings have. One for self-preservation, right? We... We are have an instinct very powerful. These are primal instincts, right. right? To you know keep ourselves safe and stay alive, right? Second one would be a social instinct. Why? Because if you don't know where you are in the herd, you can get picked off and killed. So again, your social instinct is also a, a survival, survival instinct, right? Instinct. Now the sexual or one to one or bonding, you know, uh, depending on who you, what teacher you go by, is another instinct which really has to do with reproduction and c the continuance of your gene line, right? Okay. So we have a, you know, um, a instinct for bonding as human beings with another, and part of that is, you know, we just want to continue on our our right. gene line. Okay, so those are three powerful instincts. Now depending on which one you are. Uh, I don't want to go too far into this because I want to get right to your question. But um, if we all have a dominant one, we all think of it as a stack, okay, right. or like a chocolate cake, right? You, so you got icing on the top. That's your dominant one. Then you have one in the middle, and then you have one that's repressed, right? So part of the work you can do, um, by the way, and you could just know this stuff and throw the enneagram away, and you could do a ton of work. So just yeah. which is fascinating. It to sounds me. like it. Yes. So let's say if you're, uh, let's say you're self-preservation, sexual, social. So you would say, you know, uh, I'm very fixated a lot of the time on things having to do with self-preservation. So when I walk into a party, I, I you know, it's hot in here. It's cold in here. Uh, where's the food? Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's just, you might be more concerned about the taxes getting in on time than a social or a sexual, you know, it's like. Issues around security, safety, survival, right? And I'm I'm not doing justice to this because right. it's, it's a I could flesh it out a lot more. But if your if your sexual one is repressed, that instinct, the goal would be to focus your attention on one of the goals, bringing up your skills and ways of being in the world that focus on one to one relationships. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it's like, oh, there's something I got to work on. Now, if your spouse or a friend, a dear friend or partner, is not does not have the same instinct you do, primary instinct, right? It will be a cause of problems in the relationship. Hmm. And it's not a deal breaker. It's just because you have, you hold different values. You you would value the, what I just described. Self preservation types would, where they might be, you know, have a much different value. And if you don't know the difference, you will bump into each other 
presume that your way of seeing the world is quote unquote normal and theirs is not. Right. But when you understand it, wow. So my life, I'm a self-preservation four. My wife is a one-to-one nine. So, you know, I'm the type who focuses more on things like, you know, how are the kids? And, you know, what just sort of self-preservation things like, for example, um, I care more about paying bills on time. You know what I mean? And she's like more focused on our relationship, the one-to-one thing going on between us. Right. Right. So I don't understand why I come in the house and, you know, bills are kind of scattered around after I've been away for two weeks or something. And then, and she's like, no, what, what about you and me? And I'm like, now I've learned because my actually repressed one is one-to-one. I have to work to focus my energy and attention more on that and developing it and letting go a little bit of my self-pressed stuff. And she has to work a little bit more on her self-pressed stuff uh, and not keep her energy and focus on one-to-one. Right. Does, that, does that help? It does. It helps a lot. I actually think one of the reasons my wife and I get along so well is both of us, I've always understood, and correct me because I'm probably wrong, that the difference between sexual and social, self-preservation has always been a mystery to me, but the difference between sexual and social is, you know, for an Enneagram 3, they want to be seen as a success. Mm-hmm. So I can identify with that. But a sexual Enneagram 3 would say, I want to be seen as a success to my friends and my family. A social Enneagram 3 would say, I want to be seen as a success to my friends, my family, and strangers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I yeah. have friends who love to speak, and they, they're, it's almost like an addiction. Mm-hmm. I have no... I have. I mean, I speak. I, just, I don't really have a desire to. It's not a... It's not a yearning I have to have people clap. However, for Ian Cron to say, you know, Don's a great storyteller and a guru and he's written fantastic books means the world. Does that make sense? Wow. Because I know Ian. Got it. So is that a self-preservation or sexual or so let me social? Just, yeah, so... Or am I just, am I nitpicking it? Well, okay, am I going so, too far down the rabbit hole? No, 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 no. This is great because people... I ask this question a lot, and they're they're fascinated with with it. And uh, and part of a project I'm working now on is sort of next level depth of understanding of the enneagram, and this is a big piece of it. Yes. Okay. So uh, I'm doing this without you know any notes, uh, and I don't want to go too long. So if you were a, a sexual three, you would be uh, very concerned with presenting an image of the ideal male. Uh. Because you're you're remember you're in this zone where it's one to one stuff. Right. Right. And so uh, I can think of a couple of friends, you know, they they really embody this sort of this ideal of the of a beautiful, you know, uh, icon paradigm of of the male. Let's say that this is that's just one feature of, right. a, of a sexual one. If you were a sexual type, you would go to a party and, for example, and you would try to find one person in the room you could bond with very quickly. And you'd probably spend the rest of the night just talking to that person. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you were a social three, that's more of the sort of the stereotypical three, which is, you know, the hand, you know, this is not a very healthy picture of a three right here, but the hand, you know, grabbing, back slapping, uh, networking. I want to look great. I want to have the greatest car. I want to signal success to everybody I can around me. Uh, that sort of a thing, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working the world. Right. I'm, right. Right. Now, if you were a self-pres three, that's called the counter type. Okay. Okay. You will not look like a three. Mm. You, you, you mm. know, uh, you'll 
that that self press three sort of has a a different sort of quality to them and um how will they look what's the quality well again they would be somebody that um and actually i just i've just made a terrible mistake i want to describe to you the self-preservation four okay because gotcha. that we're trying to figure out this four or three dynamic with if you. i'm a four or three right the counter type of the four is the self-preservation four and they often look like a three it could be it okay now remember uh here's what and here's why and it's very hard uh in this situation um, to sort of pick this out. The the self-preservation four um, is, you know, uh, they really don't want to appear too different from the crowd, like a social or a sexual would. Does that make sense? A little bit, yeah. Okay, because they're, um, rather than compensating by being special and unique, right, they're, they're compensating through a pursuit of success uh, that may be driven by their envy of other people's success. They're very competitive, mm. and off. And here's here's what I think. There's some truth in that for me. It feels like it's it's changed. It's it's evolved into that over the last ten mm. to right. fifteen years. Where it used to be, I, I think really my worldview was shaped by the desire to be unique or special or different. Mm. Right. And now it's not so much that. Right. Uh, but by being quietly successful. And they, they're dauntless. Sometimes they're called dauntless. Uh, they're very powerful. Uh, they're competitive. They're willing to take big risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, um, now if you were a self-pres three, uh, you would be m- more interested in helping others be a success and appear successful. And that would be your currency of feeling like a success yourself. That's also true. It, it, but it, it used to not be true. That's been an evolution. And so, right. it's, it, and the way I usually say it is, you know, I spent 15 years telling my story. I'm no longer interested in that. I really want to help other people tell okay. theirs. So those stacks can change. They're right. interchangeable depending on right. where you are in life. It's not like a type where you're kind of like your underlying motivation is always the same. Mm-hmm. It never changes. Um, what you have to determine is, so the underlying motivation for a four is... Uh, you know, I have this fatal flaw, this deficiency inside. Therefore, I have to present an image that is special and unique to the world to right. compensate and recapture what was lost somewhere back there that has, you know, relegated me to the Isle of Misfit Toys. Right, right. now, but if it's a three, you would be motivated by a need to be successful, really a compulsive need to succeed uh, and to or to appear successful and to avoid failure at all costs. So which of those two would you say has characterized you for as far back as you can remember? The f- first one as f- far back as I can remember, but the second one as of as of more recent history. So um, what I would say is you could have a very heavy three-wing. You could be a self, what I just described, which is a self-preservation four who often looks like a three or a seven, right? Mm-hmm. Or you could be a three. I mean, so this is part of... I'd, I'd, if I had to bet, I'd bet self-preservation four. Okay, so I want you to go home. You read Beatrice Chestnut's book, right? On, uh, called What's the, the book com- called? The Complete Enneagram. Okay. 27 subtypes. And just read her description of the self-preservation four. Will do. Here's why. Um, in most instances <clears throat> across those nine types, the three subtypes are really just nuanced differences of the main type, Right. 
But for fours and sixes, the three types look so utterly different, they might as well be different numbers. Wow. It's just great crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. There you go. I, for whatever it's worth, right? I, helpful. I'll, I'll send you a bill. How much do I owe you? <laughs> well, What's the website where we donate again? Yeah, $150. <laughs> that was 15 minutes. Okay, so, um, <laughs> all right. So, but, so let's presume you're a three. Uh, how has, you know, your being a three in this transition, let's assume that's true, affected your personal and business life? Uh, it's poured rocket fuel on it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, all of that. Because you weren't that guy 15 years ago. No. You were not as driven well, or focused as you are I would now. not have ever realized I was. But I don't know how you spend a year writing a book with that kind of discipline and and then write another one. And you know, People think, well, somebody wrote a great book, hit the New York Times. You, There are things you did to make that happen. I remember right. an author sold millions and millions of books and told me, yeah, I don't promote my books at all. I don't, you know, it just happened. And and I had to remind him, actually, when I met you, you, you had a trunk full of them and you were... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? Like you were promoting oh. it the whole time. And and so, I, to, to be honest, I think there was always that kind of desire to succeed or, or be successful. Uh, I think uh, that was early on. But I think it... Uh, there was also really annoying self-pity and, the, and things like that that I think these days I wish I don't want to redo my life at all it's led to where I'm at and I'm very happy but if I could change one thing it would be go back and sort of rid out some of that mm. which yeah. is a, it seems like that's when I it seems like sometimes if there's a three and a four in me who knows which is which they contend with each other okay can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is your drive to succeed driven more by your envy of other people? Like you see other people and you're like, I, I could do that. I want to be that guy or that. You know what I mean? Like I want to do that. Or I should be that guy. Or I should be that guy. Right. And I feel ashamed that I'm not that guy. And so it's driving me to compete. Or do you feel like, uh, you know, my whole life, I am that guy. Like I've always been that driven. I've always been had this need to succeed wherever I went. More the former than the latter, but I, it's hard to call it. I mean, the envy pops up every once in a while. It does. Usually, for all when yeah. envy pops up, when I see somebody getting attention for something I don't think they deserve. Ooh. So uh, when somebody is seen as something, and maybe it's in my realm, you know, a great writer or whatever, and I know, uh, you know. I can't even think of a of, a, of an analogy right now. Uh, when I think, you know, it's the uh, Holden Caulfield syndrome, right? Oh, that guy's a phony. Okay, wait a minute. So, so that, so that's, and I don't know, that's a four, right? In your that is that's totally a, four. Okay, so I have some of that, but the drive isn't so much. Uh, I, I'm jealous of that person. I want to be successful like they are. I really can't think of anybody in my life who I'm thinking I want their fame or success. The drive comes from um, you have a limited amount of time on the planet and you and there are very high expectations and it will be a really sad day if you don't hit them. Mm. That's the drive. So the, the envy comes in in places, but it's almost like they're not connected. Right. Fascinating. All right. Well, maybe over time in this conversation, it'll, yeah, who knows? it'll, it'll, it'll show, you know, because sometimes it. 
you know, it's like when you're not thinking about it, sometimes you'll you'll say something and it's like, what? You know, and you'll yeah. you'll, you'll zero in on it. I had a conversation, maybe this, I had a conversation recently with a, um, a gentleman, uh, a new acquaintance, and we were just talking about mixed motives. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this was a, a, a politician who's had some success. And um, he, in the course of the conversation, I said, look, I, I finally just had to ask myself, am I driven because I love power? Am I driven because I'm trying to convince everybody I'm not white trash? Or am I driven because I want to serve and help people? And the answer is yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's it. The answer yeah. is yes. Yeah. All, yeah, all three. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of my life is to, like a, like a, you know, like Anthony's equipment over here, the recording equipment kind of turned down part of that slowly over time and turned up the good stuff and mm. turned down the bad stuff. But don't stop. Right. Keep going. And it's fluid and dynamic day to day. And maybe hour to yeah. hour. Which yeah. which Depending one on of those values? Yes. Which what, what values are emerging as stronger than others, right? And mm-hmm. the trick is just to keep your eye on it and have enough self-awareness to know when the bad yeah, dog... Try not to operate out of the weakness. Totally. Yeah. Right? And you can make choices and, and decisions if you've got enough self-awareness and self-knowledge to say, here's where I can go. You know, right. when it's when it's not. And the Enneagram is a invaluable tool for Oh, that, man. Right? It's been the most powerful tool for me. Really? Yeah. Uh, you know, the I started way back before your book, which I now recommend is the best introduction to the Enneagram. But I started way back with Riso and Hudson's Blue Book. Yep. And then uh, the, the Wisdom of the Enneagram. Right. And then um, the Orange Book. Right. You know, the di- Disintegration Paths. Yep. What's the name of that one? Oh, you had to ask Boy, me that. Really uh, well, you know, Riso and Hudson's? Yeah, Riso it's and Hudson's. It's just called Personality Types. That's right. Oh, uh, boy, that's a good one. Yeah. That's like that's like reading a novel. Yeah, you just literally they literally describe the nine personality types as their lives fall apart. <laughs> exactly. So by the end of each yeah. chapter, somebody is committing suicide or somebody's murdering somebody else. All right. So speaking wow. of story, which I want to get to here in a second, yeah. you know that there are type there are casting agents and actually screenwriters who use the enneagram. Oh, I can't. I, I would imagine it's such a great dialogue tool. For, right for creating characters. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean. So, I mean, that's fascinating oh, no. it, to me. It, what better tool is there, right? I don't because know. it helps you stay, if you really understand the nine personality types and you're writing a screenplay or you're writing a novel, it helps you stay consistent. And there's nothing, but a few things that are worse. There are a few things that are worse than watching a movie or reading a novel and, and a character being inconsistent. Right. Mm. Or flat. Yeah, well, flat, yeah exactly. Or not, right. not giving you that one line that gives you a backstory all in a line. Right. Totally. Yeah. With that in mind, let me, I'm just going to read you a quote from one of your books, okay? Oh, hey. All right, so this one is from is it me uh, feeling a million sorry miles. for myself. Million miles, you ready? No. <laughs> no, but we can look one of those up on Goodreads. Um, so here's what you say. Okay, once you live a good story, you get a taste for a kind of meaning in life, and you can't go back to being normal. You can't go back to meaningless scenes stitched together by the forgettable thread of wasted time. There you go. I, I still agree with that, which I which I wonder about the books I've written, whether I agree with them. But I agree with that. Okay, so th- I, there's method to my madness in asking this question. W- what does living a good story mean? You want me to break it down pragmatically? No, in your experience, let's say just, you know, and you, actually you could do through the lens of your life as an Enneagram 3, possibly self-preservation 4, whatever it is. You know, like, like what does it mean to live a good story? This is Donald Miller's definition. Okay. It is an existential experience. In other words, other people may not see your life as having been a good story. So it is subjective, uh, and uh, I think it involves having a passionate project that you love that requires uniquely you that serves the world. 
In other words, a reason to get out of bed in the morning that isn't just you. That I think it has to have very difficult challenges. Okay. That uh, throw you into the deep end right. more often than you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I think it cannot be done alone. Okay. It would be uh, within the context of a community. Those are the three things that I would say make up a meaningful story. They happen to be, uh, or to parallel at least, Viktor Frankl's right. uh, logotherapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What he prescribed to patients, some of them suicidal, in order to experience a deep sense of meaning. Since I, I rode my bicycle from Los Angeles to Delaware, the final stop- On purpose? W- on purpose. <laughs> Somebody was chasing me. Uh, and the final stop the day before we, we rode across Delaware in a day, so the, the final stop was the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. And I picked up that book, and it explained why I had done what I'd just done. And, uh, and we finished the, the trip, and, uh, and I read that book, and I really, I must have read it five times, and I began to practically apply those principles. That's where Million Miles really, really came from. Wow, okay. Was, was Victor Frankl. I don't think I knew as much as I do now about what was generating these thoughts. Hmm. I don't think I've had an experience of futility, nihilism, or meaninglessness since then mm-hmm. and that would have been 10 wow. years ago wow and this I, is man's search for meaning is that is that man's search for meaning right yeah. i mean he, you know he wrote some other stuff a lot of his stuff is so clinical yes it is uh but that was man's search for meaning yeah i, I really don't believe that I, I don't even know oh that's saying too much uh it's hard for me to even think of a bad day mm. in that in that decade wow and even some of the bad days have been so redeemed by the, I remember I woke up one morning and realized I've lost everything. I've lost three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I knew on that morning this is going to be one of the best days of your financial life. Wow! There's something about the way he helps you understand the benefit of pain, mm. and if you can really get it, it will save you mm. a world of trouble and time. And time, right? decades, decades of wasted time. I mean, this time. is what I tell people all the time. The Enneagram will save you time. It really will. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge thing. And especially for a four, and you know, I certainly have a lot of four influence, the tendency is to sort of enjoy pain or challenge or missing things. Yeah. And, or and, you identify know, or, yourself or, with and it. And identify with them and, and, and almost enjoy the, the sort of... Mm, delicious. Yeah, yeah. That I'm, I'm just not like everybody else, and mm-hmm. I wish I was. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it just drives me crazy. That was such. Right. I want. I don't want to say it was wasted time because I got books out of it. Right? <laughs> yeah. My, my four would records. say. My four would say, "Woe is me." Yeah. Life is is terrible. My three would say, "Hey, we can make some money off this." That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing about four with three, right? Is right. you know, this is they part of the dynamic. Bit. You know, well, because the four is always criticizing the three in, in you for being inauthentic, and the three in you is always criticizing the four, like saying, "Well, do you want to eat?" <laughs> yeah, or do you want to stay exactly home and write poetry? It. You can't yeah. write poetry and make a living, so you that's better count exactly on me it. to make the dough. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, the four is always prosecuting the three. All right, here's why I was asking you about story. Like, what does a good story, uh, you know, what does that mean for a person? I have been very tempted to teach the Enneagram through the lens of narrative. Ooh. And, and, I, and I, I, I smell a book, The Story Brand Guide to the Enneagram. Yeah, okay, so... 
Because here's the deal. Each of the nine styles, and don't you steal it. If you're a three, you're thinking right now, okay, now wait a minute. Nah, <laughs> nah, you, so, you, you, so you would write the you better book. I know you wouldn't. So, but each of the nine Enneagram styles really um, has a self-limiting story that it tells themselves and others about who they are and what the world is like. And it's all based on the type, right? Oh, so before I even jump into like how I think that is, what does that, it sounds like it rings a bell for you. Oh, not just rings a bell. I'm interested in reading it. And, and literally my three-ness, as soon as you said that said, I wonder what story I'm telling myself and how I can stop telling myself so I can get more success. Okay. Mm. All right. As soon, so, as, you, as soon as you said the premise. Yes. Wow. Well, then, and, the one and how has, helpful would it be to know what Betsy's limiting story is and what my mm. staff's limiting story is? Yes. And what, because as you know, because we've both done like Robert McKee's story, right. uh, which was very influential. That conference was, and his teaching and writing has been very influential on both of us. And because you are a story guru, you know how powerful stories are in terms of companies finding their you know, brand identity, but also- It is everything. Yeah, and also human identity. Everything. Right. So- Identity politics is all about political leaders or parties or or- even corporations right. through dark money efforts, inviting people to become somebody they want to become mm. by living a story. Yes. Okay. So, right. um, so the underlying premise of, of each type's story kind of is the plot line. You know what I'm saying? Like it's the overarching sort of um, driver of the narrative, right? So let's say if you're a three, uh, your worldview, which is part of the, the story, is I see a world in, in which people are only valued for what they do rather than for who they are, hmm. right? So that's a, a feature of a three story, right? That drives a lot of behaviors above the waterline. If that's under the waterline driving stuff, you know, you're going to see it on the surface of, of, a, of a three's life on the outside. But it's not just that, you know, it's I can only gain love or acceptance through achievement and success by avoiding failure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and then another feature of it would be of the story is part of my story. If I'm a three is it's not okay for me to have my own identity and feelings. Hmm. Do you, you understand the dynamic of that, right? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. So, you know, oftentimes threes, uh, growing up in childhood, got the message that they needed to become someone else yes. because the important people in their life said who you really are is incompatible with our values or ideals as a family or a school or a culture. So really, your feelings don't matter. Your true identity doesn't matter. You have to adopt this one in order to uh, be to belong, right, and right. survive. So, you know, people become world star athletes or musicians or business people, not because that's who they are oftentimes, but because they had to develop that appearance. In order and, to fit in in the community and survive. That story has been running since they were little kids. That's a fascinating book. Overlaps very interestingly with a number of scholars who believe there are only seven to nine stories that ever get told. The seven stories. Christopher book. Booker's yeah, The Christopher. Seven Basic Plots is the best book on yeah. story. It's also a thousand pages. <laughs> and, and text smaller than your Bible. Yes. And not a sentence in it isn't rich. Wow. You took, him, 30, took him 34 years to write that book. Yeah, I can see why. Uh, I, I would think that book would be helpful... Because, especially in narrative form, we just process narratives so much more easily, right? So when you actually say, here's the story of this person on your staff. Right. 
it would help me understand everybody around me because I think most of us probably project our stories onto others. We all want to succeed. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's not actually not true. Mm-hmm. Nines don't. Right? Well, not in the same they way. They want you to succeed or they want you to be heard or listened to. Or whatever. Maybe that's success for them. Success is defined differently. Mm-hmm. But it would be very, very helpful to understand others. Yeah, because we are embedded and we find meaning in, in, the, in the stories of our lives. And here's how people normally put them together. It's sort of a plot map. You, you, you would say, okay, I've had um, this experience, that experience, this experience. And so little pieces in there sh- jump up and shimmer over the others. And you tie them together. And when you do that, you start to tell a story, right? So yep. my dad died when I was three. I did this at 15. This happened at seven. And you, you string together these things. And then out of which you create a real or perceived story mm-hmm. that whether you know it or not is actually the driving force of your life. And what the Enneagram reveals is that you've got these nine types. It, it reveals what stories. story you were programmed with. Story is a GPS mechanism. Right. That's right. what it is. And what happened to you when you were three and what happened to you when you were 15 and what happened right. to you when you were 21 were other people or events programming the GPS and you mm. assumed yes. that's where you were supposed to go. Right. Wow. And of course, that's, that's what makes great movies and novels often so great is that we can see the the story that character has appropriated or taken on as their own and we can see that it doesn't have to be that way. It's not true. That story that person's living is not true. Their, mm. their self-perception, the way they see the world and we're sort of sticking around to see well, are they going to wake up and find their true self or are they going to continue to live in this fiction that they've been living in forever? Right. And I think that's all of us. That, of course, and that's why we stick in the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the book, right? Yeah. It's like, man, I, you know, I, I've got that, you know, going on in my own life. So I could go through all the other types. I'll, maybe I'll do it at the end of the show. Um, but here's, here's a, again, I, I've, I'm so looking forward to this. I, I kind of wrote some stuff down. But so this guy, Mo Willems, once wrote, he said, if you ever find yourself on the wrong story, leave. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Isn't that great? Yeah. If you it's ever very find simple yourself, advice. It's just really simple advice. Yeah. So when you think about your own life or about the, I mean, is that true? Can you leave it? Can you leave a story? Can, oh, can an Enneagram type leave a story? 100%. Okay. All right. I'm a, let's what, and really what I, what I would say is you can refuse to play this role. Oh, okay. It, that's really important. Yes. This isn't my role. Help you can me refuse do that. Help me know. Role. Okay. I'm a four. I grew up really with a sense of inner deficiency, a lot of shame, a lot of what's wrong with me, um, envying the kids in the neighborhood who didn't have the alcoholic dad. And yeah seeing their life as the ideal and, you know, envying it and feeling like, why did God abandon me and throw me into this crap hole over here? You know what I'm saying? Like, blah, 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 blah. So you're counseling me, story guru, you know the Enneagram. How do I change that story? And and then become, therefore, like a whole different person to live the good story you were telling me about in the beginning. You, You enter into a new story. Okay. And that new story, which is so much easier than to disentangle yourself from the one that you're in. Right is to enter into a new one. Okay. So you actually say, um, you know what? I need to find something that's going to captivate my attention that's really good for the world that is difficult and is going to cause me to engage challenges right. uh, so that it will transform me. Yeah. So, well, for instance, you know, you know, I used to weigh, I don't know if you know this, I used to weigh a lot. I used to weigh almost yeah, no, 200 pounds right. more than I weigh right now. I weigh right. 387. I'm at two. I remember that. Now. Um, that how I got th- 
through that and changed was entering into stories that required me to weigh less. Ooh, okay, now well, that is that amazing to me. So, so I was 265 when I started riding my bike in Los Angeles and at 216 when I got to Delaware. You just can't, you got to eat a lot of fat to right. get there. Right. And came home uh, and and was, was different. And I yeah. still felt like a fat guy in a not as fat guy's body. I want to say right. skinny guy's body because right. I, I didn't have one. Right. But, uh, that was transformative. The the story required you to change. And if if you want to change, pick a new story. Dang it, that's it. That's I mean, that's in my notes right here because yeah. it's not a matter of just knowing your Enneagram type and its traits and characteristics. You have behaviors. got to write your own story. And that's a whole other conversation. Yes. Because there are I think most people don't actually realize they have agency to write their story. Uh, right. Mm. Their story is being right. written for them mm-hmm. by They've their, been, by their been work, by their totally. family, by their whatever. Right. So you're, you know, uh, St. Augustine would say, you know, this is what happens when someone else's ambitions are thrust upon you. Well, yeah, they're directing your story. Right. Yeah. Living and that's happening to all of us yes. by political leaders, by corporations, totally. by religions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I both are Jesus guys, but I think it's happening with religion. Totally. Uh, and uh, that's not your story, right? You didn't define, you didn't decide that story. Right. You stepped into somebody else's story, which isn't bad. You know, I say to leaders all the time, everybody is looking to be invited into a story, and if you, as a good leader, don't invite them into one, you better be certain a bad one's going to invite them into a story that they're going to they're going to get hurt. They're going to use them, mm. right? And uh, I think leaders should see themselves more as movie directors than anything else. Yeah. Okay. So this is so exciting. I'm not sure this episode's this episode's going to go longer than a Wagner opera. Okay. So my, here's my thing. That was a Fraser Crane comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was ever, we've been going through Fraser Crane recently, yeah. and I'm, I've no. been trying to write them down. They're so yeah. good. Okay. But this is this is exciting to me. So because as I think about the Enneagram and helping people, you know, the Enneagram is not just meant to help people understand themselves and then do nothing with it. It's meant to do inner deep. Deep, yeah. deep inner work. Yeah. And my premise is the same as yours. You can only make superficial changes on the surface of your life as a Enneagram 7 or 8 unless you know the story underneath it right. and what the themes mm-hmm. are running in that story. Because the story is really the, uh, the native soil out of which the person grows, right? I mean, and, and until you realize that and are able to articulate the story, out it, surface it, right? right? You know, you're you're kind of at the mercy of it because it's outside conscious awareness driving everything. And that that's where you've got to write this book because that's where helping me and all your listeners figure out what story do I want to live, but what story am I actually right. living? And the Enneagram can tell you that. Or give you clues. It can I give you clues. Give you clues. It's not But I think you have to answer this, the the story elements questions. What is it that you want? Well, let me give you a um, this little couch psychology here for that you can you can do to me. Uh, I had something of an epiphany, and I like having these epiphanies and sort of testing them over a period of time, see mm-hmm. if they have any if they hold water. Uh, but oh, there was uh, you know maybe I'm late on a deadline, and I was supposed to turn something in a week ago. I didn't kind of had this epiphany of, I wonder if the reason, and I'm not actually somebody who's late on deadlines uh, very often, right. but I had this epiphany of, 
maybe the reason you're late on this deadline is because you actually want to be. Mm-hmm. You you like the feeling of being late on deadlines because you're special, or you like the feeling of being late on deadlines because um, you, you like to be a victim to some degree. You, you, you know what I mean? Sure. Because I'm like, why would I keep being late on deadlines unless I like this? Mm. Even though I think I don't like it, right? I wouldn't. You don't keep doing things right. you don't like. Well, there's something you may not like uh, it, but it's so, it's working so, for you for some reason. It's working, right? And so, your your book could help me understand. Wait, wh- hold on. What? Why am I doing? Why am I living the story right. of a guy who's late on deadlines? Mm-hmm. Because I hate it, to keep yeah. saying this because I'm not a guy who's late on deadlines. Just I'm just right. winging it here. No, but it's, it's it, <clears throat> well, I have been on this last book. But the thing is, in, in psychology, we call it what's the secondary gain? Ooh, right. I've never heard that term. It's, yeah, yeah, second, fascinating. Secondary gain. So it's like. Well, why do you stay in a marriage that's abusive, right? Uh, that's not a, well, let's, let's not use that as an example. Let's say, why do you continue in a particular behavior that is so self-defeating, and that's, that's why you came to my office, was to discuss why do I keep doing it? One of the questions I'd ask is, well, w- what about it is working for you? Like, uh, for example. And how do you get somebody to stop doing it? Well, I mean, part of what we're talking about, right? What, how does that um, secondary game fit into the larger story that you're, you're, you're living in and that we need to actually surface and name okay and so here's one of the ways i do this with people okay. i've done this on retreats i ask them to um either write or just turn to the person next and they put them in pairs let's say uh over the course of a weekend and i'll say okay i want you to write your story from the perspective uh as with you as the villain with you as the hero with you uh as uh I got hero, victim, villain, villain guide, and uh, well, you could do, mine are vi- hero, victim, villain guide. That's okay. So I think mine would be well. So I think people get the idea, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I say to them, which one do you want? Which of those stories that do you want to live in? Fascinating yeah. exercise. That is a fa- you know, in the book Human School, there's a section called the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. Really. Can I steal that from you? Can I steal the, the whole we'll discuss life? discuss it after. Okay. So anyway, the... the I'll, I'll give you some royalties. <laughs> yeah. No, but the reason I think this is so powerful with people is, to your point, agency. It's like, now, I can't revise history. I can't change the fact that I grew up with, you know, I can't screw around with, say, oh, I didn't grow up with an alcoholic dad. It's like, well, no, that's, you know, sorry, pal. Those are the cards, you know, you know, that's it, right? But I have agency to reinterpret what that means. And if you don't choose it, you will always pick. I'm telling you, it's it's almost a universal law because of negativity bias. You will pick the worst, and because kids are, as you know, great storytellers, they're crappy interpreters. Hmm. So little kids will take on blame. They'll paint themselves as a victim or a villain or whatever. And as you get older, though, you can say, "Is that the story I want to live? Do I want to continue in that interpretation of my past?" or do I have agency to say, no, that's not what it was about. That's not what this story is about. That's, that's Viktor Frankl's whole point yes. in right. that one category of logotherapy. In logotherapy, yeah. And by the way, that was my, my central, uh, existential therapy was my central learning in grad school. That was the oh, school gosh. that I picked as my sort well, of Well, no central. wonder you become who you are. Yeah. You know, <laughs> only a four would pick something kooky like existential. The only 14 people on the planet would really want to have it. But... You know, it is very, very powerful. And and so, see, this is what I'm excited about because of you, you being a story guru, because I just think so much 
of what determines a person's trajectory, um, quality, meaning of their life is what story are you in? And I think it was Wendell Berry said, you know, um, that if you want to understand, you, you better understand the story you're living in. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And it will dictate everything. Everything. And, and again, going back to the Enneagram, each of those types within it is a story. And that it comes with a worldview, it comes with behaviors, thoughts, feelings. That's how powerful it is. And for you to do an exercise in saying, what is the story I've been telling myself and others about who I am and the way the world works? Yeah. If you know that, then you ask yourself the question, do I want to continue to live in that story? How's it working for me? Yeah. Maybe it got me through childhood, but it is, it's not working anymore. So do I as an adult now want to adopt something altogether new as a story? You, have you seen uh, my s- online software at mystorybrand.com? No. So if you go to mystorybrand.com, I have uh, online software, right. and you, it's free, right. and you can fill out the seven categories of a story. It's actually for branding and messaging. Right. That's what oh, no, I, I have done this. I've actually, I mean, you know, I've, yeah, you've done, we've done it twice. But I would be curious consulting things. as a therapist if it would work, mm. where you would actually sit down and say, okay, I think this is what wow. this patient wants, which is the first thing you have to have in a story. This is their the villain that is keeping them from getting what they want. This is their problem that the villain is causing. This is how the villain the problem is making them feel. This is why that's just plain wrong. These are all the elements. Yeah. I'm I'm basically telling a narrative, a necessary. Those are the components of a narrative: character that wants something, uh, faces a villain that offers some challenges and have to overcome those challenges in order to experience a climactic scene. Okay. I, I I really wonder if. If you could, if it would actually work. Well, as you were talking about it, I can see where it would, and it because also they probably have to nuance a little bit. You probably have to change. Yeah, you can do change some of the wording, but fundamentally, that's just right. You know, Joseph Campbell's like hero's journey, right? And so, and because that story appears in every culture around the world, Mm -hmm. right? We should pay attention, right? With that level of consistency. <laughs> two things. I mean, there's so we could go really on some rabbit trails here because you have to pay attention to. Okay, well then, what is your story? And then a, an even deeper question is, where did the framework come from in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why? Why are these the seven things human beings respond to mm-hmm. in a narrative? What, what? And I've got some theories on that, but that's a whole other. Yeah. Episode. All right. Well, we'll do that on because because I just see all this interwoven with the enneagram. Because and, and, and how the Enneagram can be applied in people's lives in a way that has like practical outcomes. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just up in the air kind of going, I'm an eight, you know, I'm this. It's like, no, you're not. That's a story. Now, there are aspects of you that are clues to your true self within that conversation around your type. Is every Enneagram type a false story? Well, here's an interesting Because Reese Hudson would say, Yes, yes, right. Okay, would, so here's would, what I would yes. say, even deeper to me, anyway, as a you know Jesus follower, is that every single one of those stories is in direct opposition to the story of grace. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard it said that way, but it's yeah. just so true. So you do not have to be successful in order to be loved, mm-hmm. or you don't have you do not have to be dominant, or you do not have to be invisible, mm-hmm. or you do not have to be loved to be loved. Exactly. Enneagram two. That's how you, you know do not those have are, to be perfect. Right. That's Enneagram how you know the stories are corrupted. They're polluted. Yeah. So the problem is, is that we're pesto and pasta. We're not bento boxes. Uh, yeah, so I'm doing, lost. you know what I'm Are saying? Are we eating? Yeah. <laughs> 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 lunch today. No, what I'm saying is it's very hard to pick apart what, what's the good uh, and the bad, yeah, yeah, the yeah, wheat yeah. and the chaff in right. each of us. What's yeah. the best of the personality? Yeah. What needs, what needs thrown in the fire with the chaff? What needs to be held on to because it's When good. you say to me, Don, you don't have to succeed, 
in order to be loved. I have a strong resistance to that because mm-hmm. I think to myself, wait, if you take away that belief from me, I won't succeed. <laughs> well, right. My story will fall apart. Yeah. yeah. It won't well, happen. Well, I, I, not even my story will fall apart. I won't succeed. If you say I don't have to succeed in order to be loved, how am I going to make my house payment? Like we're building an expensive house. Mm. You, know, you know what I mean? Mm. Like you take the Enneagram 3 out of me and you remove the engine. Mm-hmm. But remember, replace your, it engine, with your engine what? is... Uh, I don't know if I'd agree with you on that. I to, think you might just be a healthier three that um, would both succeed, but for different reasons. You wouldn't do it with this tight grip. Sort of a Jim Collins this, transformation, but yeah, it's really more for others. Right, because that strategy that you're operating in has consequences and costs. It, you know, like in your marriage or your friendships and your health. I mean, that story, sure, it helps you succeed in a particular way financially or whatever, but it has cost in other areas of your mm-hmm. life in terms of time and health and all the other things I've just mentioned. So you kind of got to do a little bit of a, you know, like what is this costing me? And is it, you know, is it, I don't want you not, to, I, listen, I want you to succeed. There's nothing wrong with succeeding. I just don't want you and to be miserable and make other people miserable because you're going, you're, you're so fixated on success that you don't see what you're, you don't see what's in the wake of well, that pursuit. I, I hope that's not happening. Well, if you were an unhealthy three, that would be what oh, yeah. was happening. There would be a lot of railroading. Yeah, you. Yeah, I just called banging guardrail to guardrail through life. Right. You know, you it would just be very, very unhealthy. You know. All right. So, um, you you've got this latest book is building a story brand is the latest book. It's okay. a business the, book helping people clarify their message. Okay, and then um, the new video series is. Uh, five minute marketing makeover. Right. Is uh, it's not new, new. It's been a year old. Right. Uh, but that is uh, just three quick, ten minute videos right. <laughs> that right. uh, uh, help any business leader, business owner. I, you know, as a business leader, business owner, I just saw marketing companies ripping people off. Right. Wasting their money. Right. And if you really understand how to invite a customer into a story right. using seven different messages. Right then uh, you, you spend a lot less money on marketing and it works a lot better. So so that's the premise of StoryBrand, my company. Mm. And uh, and 5-Minute Marketing Makeover is a, a free resource that we give out that really helps people understand more of that. Wow. Okay, well, I'm just going to encourage everybody. They, they got to go and get that stuff. Okay, folks, that wraps part one of our part two series with Don Miller. Be sure to join us next week where we will be talking... Enneagram, story brand, and business. We'll continue the conversation with Don Miller next week, part two. So make sure you check that out. Hey, we hope you have a fantastic week and we will see you right here next week on Typology. See you later, folks.